Hello and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. And today we're joined by Steve Noxon, recently of WATR and an all-around political commentator, analyst, thinker, and communicator. So we are just delighted to be able to welcome you to YCT Matters, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Carol, for having me. So I know that you are always uh, someone who has a lot of observations and we're sort of well into the legislative session. Is there anything in particular that has caught your eye? Because it seems to me there's been a lot of craziness coming out of the legislature. Well, it seems they hit the ground running this time. Um, with uh, There was an article I read, I think it was in the New Haven Independent this morning, that mentioned that the New Haven delegation alone has already proposed 218 bills. So they're not wasting any time here at all. And if you go through some of the bills that they're proposing, what's, what's interesting to me about them is that many of them are bills that were previously proposed, such as um, Senator Looney's mansion taxes back with a slight modification uh, and, and other items on the agenda as well. But the, the concept of fairness was even used by the, the, the writer of the article when it came to why these proposals, especially these tax proposals, were, were being brought up. And to me, I find that to be one of the most disingenuous ways of promoting uh, a tax is, you know, to say, well, it'll make it more fair. Because first of all, fair is is un, undefinable. Uh, everyone has a different concept of what fair is, and it's also kind of a it's almost evil in the way they use that uh, because it tends to vilify a certain group of people uh generally you know they go after the rich it's always the rich uh the billionaires we've got to we've got to make them pay their fair share as though the rich don't pay their fair share and the thing that's interesting is you can't ever really get anyone to tell you exactly what your fair share is can you no because again it's it's going to be defined differently by everyone um but some of the other proposals that they've come up with uh, so far this year are, are beyond the concept of, you know, putting together a budget so that we can run the state and we can have all of the uh, uh, the, the programs that they want to have paid for. And, and some of the other justifications that they're using actually kind of give away the game a little bit as far as I'm concerned. And I think if anybody's paid attention, they know very well that tax policy is not just a way of generating revenue for the state or for the federal government. Tax policy is a way to uh, in many ways, control the population's behavior. and But for many of these legislators, it's also a way to punish people. Well, that's what I think is interesting. I think Winston Churchill once described socialism as the equal sharing of misery. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you can make everything fair by taking everything away from everyone. Then no one has anything. And that's perfectly fair if you define fairness as equal outcomes. And that's the thing that I find so concerning about uh, this entire equity conversation. Uh, you know, I mean, we all understand what equality is. Uh, it means everyone having an opportunity or as close to the same opportunity as we can manage to provide for them. But equity is something entirely different and refers to a sameness of outcome. And it strikes me that you have moved very far from a free society when you have a government that decides it is going to insert itself to uh, limit some people's outcomes in order to make sure it's equal for everyone. I also find it interesting that they are never the ones being limited. Uh, it's it's never them, the, the, the policymakers, 
that are limiting themselves. It's always limiting others. Um, they're always ready for their upward mobility and for their opportunities to take advantage of the of the uh, largesse that they receive through the mere fact that they were able to win an election. Um, but it's it's also, I think, rather disingenuous to use that concept of fairness and equity and whatever else you want to call it uh, when it comes to these proposals. Because look, the, the last election, what was the big message we were being given? We've got billions in surplus. The economy's doing fantastically. We're in great shape here in Connecticut. We turned the corner. No, no longer are we budgeting in a state of permanent fiscal crisis. And yet the first thing out of the gate, it's we're re-implementing the gas tax. We want to put on a mansion tax. We need to have a, a wealth tax. We want to implement a, a capital gains tax on the on the super rich. And it's it's all is it's as if you know we see through their game now. It's not about the revenue, it's not about the money, and it's not even about fairness, in my opinion. It's all about punishing people who have done well. And that the, the perfect example of that is this proposed wealth tax. Or I mean, and, and it's it's about government greed as well. It seems to me, um, you know, where too much is never enough. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when it comes to fairness, it reminds me in 2008, it blew my mind. And I can't remember whether Barack Obama was, you know, he was in the presidential election uh, cycle. And I can't remember whether he was debating John McCain in the general or Hillary Clinton in the primary. But there was a debate with Charlie Gibson as the moderator. And Charlie Gibson came straight out and asked him um, if we could increase revenues by cutting the capital gains tax, would you support a capital gains tax cut? And I thought that's a very interesting question. And the answer was revealing as revealing could be. And Barack Obama said, no, I wouldn't, Charlie, because I think it's a fairness issue. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there it is. I mean, how who, do, who gets to define fair? Um, and why do they get to define fair? And why is our, why our voices, people like you and I, left out of that conversation? Um, I personally don't think it's fair to have a, uh, a wealth tax. I don't think it's fair to have a, uh, a death tax. Um, you know, these are all things that are, that are accumulated by people um, who, no matter how successful they've been in their lives, after they have already paid all of the other taxes that they, are, they have been responsible for paying. Well, that's what kills me is no pun intended, the death tax. Hmm. Um, I mean, that is a, a, a total example of government double taxation. You've already paid a tax on the stuff the first time when you earned it, and then you're just barely cold and the government's got yeah. its hand in your pocket again. My question is, who gave them that right? I couldn't agree more. Um, it's it's uh, interesting. So talk to me a little bit, uh, Steve. Earlier this week, there was a hearing on eminent domain. Mm -hmm. And as you know, eminent domain has been such a hot topic here in Connecticut since the Kelo decision, the Supreme Court decision uh, for our listeners, the little pink house. And uh, it extended the doctrine of eminent domain, which is the doctrine under which government could come in, essentially condemn your your private property, take it uh, for its own use, or in the Kilo case, uh, used by a private developer for the benefit of another private developer. Uh, but it's supposed to be public use as long as there is, quote unquote, just compensation. And now uh, the legislature is considering a new bill that would also extend the doctrine of eminent domain by allowing people's private property to be taken by the government to create 
recreational bike paths? Well, see, once again, they they make these policies, they propose these this legislature as if you know we've given them and granted them some some overall right to everything we own. Uh, it's it's when you have the mindset that you know all money is the government's money and they just allow you to keep some of it. That's the kind of bills. Those are the kinds of bills that you get because they don't believe that you have the right to maintain and keep your own property if they want it. If they want it, they are within their rights to take it. And that's what the, the, the wealth tax, again, getting back to that one, is another example of that. They simply believe that they have the right to take what people own um, just because they want it and they can pass a law to make it happen. And, you know, it's interesting because when you look, uh, you know, the wealth tax, quote unquote, by itself is a terrible idea because it it just taxes. I mean, the best analogy I ever heard for it was it's as though you have an apple tree and instead of paying taxes on the apple, they're forcing people to essentially saw off the branches. They are going after people's accumulated capital that they use in order to create jobs and to help the economy grow. And it really is an example of short-sighted economics where you end up sort of killing the golden goose, as it were. Well, and the, the way they're doing it now, because they weren't able to get it passed at the federal level, is they're trying to do it on the state level. California has proposed it out there, uh, starting out by calling it a billionaire's tax, because they're only going to tax billionaires. But within two years, it drops to anybody with combined assets of $50 million. I mean, that's in my world, not, it's not the definition of a billionaire. Um, but these studies that they've done on this, too, beyond the fact that it's just a completely unfair and immoral tax, is that it basically is worse for the economy. Because right. what happens is the people who would be subject to these taxes leave. And so now not only are you not getting the proposed revenue from the wealth tax, you've lost revenue from these billionaires that you so despise who pay a vast majority of all the tax revenue that is paid in the state. I think in California, the point, the top 0.1% of all the taxpayers in California pay 50% of the income tax. And when those people leave, that's gone. Right. And when it's gone, they have to go somewhere else for it. And where else is that? And, and, you know, something has happened on a smaller level here in Connecticut as affluent people left after the imposition of the income tax and then more rapidly uh, in after the 2011 and 2015 tax increases. You know, capital goes, money goes where it's going to be, in essence, you know, where people who have it feel as though they're not just going to be preyed on repeatedly and told to hand it over for the benefit of the government to decide what to do with it. Uh, and it's just, it's again, it's a very short-sighted, as you mentioned, it's a very short-sighted mindset because when you vilify the people that actually generate an economy, which is what the, 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 the upper level, the higher level earners do with businesses where they hire and, and all of it and, and charitable donations that they that they make and all these other things that people come to depend on when you vilify those people they're only going to put up with it for just so long before they finally decide to look for greener pastures where they're not treated as villains and you know it, it is interesting because it's a wonderful point you make about how once all the quote-unquote billionaires leave um, they need the revenue and they end up turning to everyone else including the middle class and it brings to mind what we learned uh, in in terms of the 
U.S. government hiring the 87,000 new IRS agents. Well, here in Connecticut, there's a push to add more state revenue agents, in, in essence, the state analog. And the thing that I found so interesting was that with those 87,000 new IRS um, employees, um, studies show that, in fact, it isn't the super rich or even really the quite affluent who have the means to hire accountants and tax attorneys and everyone else to push back that are primarily audited as a result of adding these new people. Uh, in general, it it is people of more modest means uh, whom the government goes after in search of a quick settlement. I think I saw a, a report that showed 19% of the audits are uh, people who make $25,000 or less per year. And of course, they know that those are the very people that are just going to bend over, roll over, and pay because they don't have, as you said, they don't have the ability to fight back. They don't have the ability to prove their case or even the time to prove their case. They're too busy trying to put food on the table. Right. And, you know, what also is uh, is unfortunate is when um, a taxing agency just comes after you with uh, even without merit. And, you know, we've he heard of these cases where they they seek just enough that it it would cost just slightly more to fight it. Right. It, it's it's obvious what the game is here, and it's it's shown every time. Again, going back to my example earlier, we were told throughout the election that our economy is booming in Connecticut. We have a multi-billion dollar budget surplus. Times are good and are going to be good forever. Well, why in the world would you need new revenue officers and new taxes if things are going so great as they are? Just leave them right. as they are. Well, and, and you know, when you talk about um, the game being obvious, uh, tell me your thoughts. There's uh, also legislation uh, up to install traffic surveillance cameras, and we're told it will just be in limited places and mm. it's merely for safety. Well, that's how it starts. Like I said, going back to the California billionaires tax that eventually in two years hits the, the people who, who have $50 million in wealth. Uh, it's it always begins with something like, well, it's just going to be for this one little thing. It's just right. going to be to, to right. stop just, this one little just, problem. Just at this one intersection where there are accidents. Yes, we will never, ever, ever misuse this. We will never, ever, ever uh, you know, expand this out any further than we're saying right now. We promise. And I think anybody who's lived in this state long enough knows that, that their promises are, are worthless. I mean, go all the way back to the imposition of the state income tax. That was meant to be a temporary tax. We were sold. You can find it in the Hartford Current's uh, paper on the front page of those, during those debates. It was temporary. and Just the, like the federal income tax. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's, there's no lie, or I'm sorry, there's no uh, promise that they won't go back on. And again, it's it's... You know, we talk about the, the we, well, we had a number of conversations uh, during the, the time we were talking about the tolls. But remember that conversation. They wanted like 81 gantries. And then when they couldn't get that, they then they will well, we'll only get 13. And I was making the case for a long time that all they need is one. Right. They need the approval for just one gantry. And that's it. All bets yeah. are off. And then there goes the infrastructure. And remember, also, it was going to be just trucks at first. Right. So, yeah. And it's it's the camel's nose under the tent and it never ends there. Of course not. Of course not. Because they but continue you, you, to get rewarded for their behavior. That's why it never ends. 
And the thing that I think is interesting is, especially when you talk about these red light cameras or the speed cameras, you know, everyone says it's safety, but in the places it's been tried, there has never been a place where these cameras have been installed, where the public has voted or wanted to keep them. And not only do you have accidents as, as people start to alter their behavior in unpredictable ways to try and avoid the detection of uh, of these cameras. But, you know, just leaving the whole revenue side uh, out of it, I, I find it um, vaguely disquieting that we have a lot of people in this state, and I'm not talking about just legislators, but there are some people who genuinely just have no problem with being continuously surveilled. And I wish I were doing something interesting enough, you know, <laughs> to have, you know, to have a personal dog in the fight about being surveilled, like, God forbid, they see me do X, Y, or Z. I lead a pretty boring life, but it's not anybody's business what I'm doing. Right. Well, that's why I find, uh, again, I, I don't like the argument that, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. The only people who should be concerned would be the people who are doing something wrong. Well, you don't have to be doing something wrong for them to find something wrong with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's the old line, you know, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Um, it, it's, it's just another way to further control the, the population and to find, again, new revenue streams. And you know that once they're hooked on it, it's just like everything else. It expands and it grows and it becomes intrusive. And the next thing you know, people who weren't doing anything wrong are suddenly caught up in the whole system. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, we, I know of someone who already has received from New York uh, a, a traffic ticket, a toll ticket, and it is her license plate, but it's not on her car. Hmm. And, you know, then after she mentioned it, then there was someone else who spoke up and said, that happened to me. Good luck. It's hell to get it straightened out. Of course not. And they, that's, they know that that's how it works. That's the process. And, it, and it's going to be, again, as you mentioned with the IRS, a low enough amount that you're just going to throw up your hands and pay it. Because if they make it too high, you'll put the effort into fighting it. But if it's just, you know, it's not worth your time and, you know, okay, we apologize, but there's really nothing we can do about it. There's always a, 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 an excuse in the bureaucracy, but they do it in such a way that you will not really go out of your way to fight it. And, you know, it it's really a sad thing when you think about how far we've strayed from the original vision of what this country was supposed to be about. You're not supposed to have to spend your time weighing the pros and cons of engaging in a bunch of petty fights with bureaucrats just to not have mistakes made on your behalf or about you or anything else. And it seems to me that when you have this, not only does it become a drag on a state's economy, not only do people want to leave, not put up with this kind of stuff, but, you know, it's just it. it it's just so far removed from the idea of ordered liberty mm -hmm. that was supposed to undergird the founding of this country. Well, I uh, we got enough time. I'll tell you a brief little story here. The state has this uh, confiscation program where if they, if they deem that an account in a bank somewhere or something that has been abandoned, then they take the money. Uh, and they did that to my kids. We had savings accounts for my kids, and they just decided because we hadn't made deposits in a couple of years, it must be abandoned, and they took the money. Um, I had an account which had, uh, uh, because of a snafu by the bank when I closed my accounts, still had two cents left in it. Um, when the story started coming out about how they weren't publishing that and couldn't find the information if it was below $50 or whatever, I got very upset about it. 
And I went online and I found not only my kids' accounts, but I also found that my two cents had been taken, which I didn't care. It was only two cents. But I wasn't going to let him win. I went through the whole process. I filed all the paperwork and I have sitting in my kitchen right now, and I'll never cash it, a check from the state of Connecticut for two cents, including the letter that was sent in a separate envelope telling me they've approved my claim and they'll be sending me a check for two cents. I mean, that's how stupid their policies are because they don't think people are going to follow through and, and, and actually go after what they're owed or fight some of these things that you're talking about. And I think if more people did fight back against these types of things, they might change the way they do business. I, I think that's the case. In fact, if all of us did it, there would be no way for them to to even manage the system. And so they would have to start rethinking how to do things a little bit differently. But, you know, the story about the abandoned property, um, you know, we have uh, pointed out a number of the shortcomings or the issues. Uh, that's one of the ones that Yankee Institute has identified in its newest iteration of Charter for Change that our listeners can find on the website. And we talk about some best practices in other states actually designed to help residents of a state locate their lost property and claim it before it sheets, as it's called, to the state. And it seems to me that there are a lot of common sense processes that could be instituted that would, you know, reduce what I kind of think of as bureaucratic friction if we were so minded to do it. And one of the things that I hope is that some of the people who are looking and reading Charter for Change, looking for new solutions to some of these problems, will think about reforming the processes that exist to work in a more taxpayer friendly way before we go setting up new bureaucracies and embarking on new plans, because that's what we really need to get our state back to where it should be. Oh, I agree. And I, I think one of the main reasons we are where we are is because they have no competition. You know, the uh, the DMV was so bad for so many years. Why? Because you had to go to the DMV. There was there was no other place you could go and, and get your driver's license. So they didn't have to cater to the customer. Right. Um, it was their way or the highway. Well, the best reforms the post office ever made was after FedEx came along, wasn't it, Steve? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They straightened their act out real fast, didn't they? So I think it shows that, you know, there is a way out, but it is through real competition, real dynamism and a free market approach to things as opposed to through bureaucracy and rules and regulations. People will find a way if they're permitted to do it. Absolutely. If all we if all we can do is get the government out of the way, have the government stop trying to be in every aspect of our lives and be the be all and end all from cradle to grave. Uh, I think we'd find that we would have a much more responsive government and a much less expensive government. Yes. Well, and so I think our, I think our our objectives are now clear and our goals complete, Steve. So I, I can't thank you enough. And Absolutely. I'm grateful to you for joining us as a guest to give us some of your point of view and, you know, to chat a little bit about some of what's going on at the legislature. And our listeners can keep track of a lot of this through our website at yankeeinstitute.org. And of course, uh, we will all be continuing uh, to listen for Steve's commentary and insight uh, on politics and the news because we have all come to appreciate and count on it. And so, Steve, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me here today, Carol. I really enjoyed it. Well, great. And it's been wonderful to have you with us. This is Carol Platt-Lebow on YCT Matters for Yankee Institute. Thanks so much. I'll show you around this place I call home.